Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever existed, including Slappy the ventriloquist puppet, Annabelle the doll, and a cursed boxing ring that on Sunday, 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 we'll watch those little murder dolls compete for the championship belt in the ultimate grudge match, refereed by the grudge girl herself, Kayako. It's the match of the decade! Uh, anyway, I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. Mikey, uh, let's start out, as we always do, with the uh, scariest thing that happened to us this week. So what went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? Roxy, I came dangerously close to melting. Melting? In melting. What, in what way? <laughs> uh, I went to see a little motion picture. Maybe you've heard of it. Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Oh, my. The air conditioning in the movie theater was broken. Okay. So I was just sitting in this swelterly AMC Burbank, and they're like plastic chairs. And it was so hot and so horrible, and the movie didn't help, and it was really upsetting. Roxy, there were entire episodes of Hey Arnold about how you go to the movies on a hot day because the air conditioning is always on. Yeah, they're always like overly air conditioned. That's usually always the problem. Like, what the hell? (laughs) It was really upsetting. I thought my brain was going to melt, but also, what am I supposed to do? Not watch Sonic the Hedgehog 2? Like, that's not Get an answer. Get a refund on Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is what you do. <laughs> March out of that theater? No, now they don't give refunds on that. They, they know a good movie when it comes across, and they say, mm, if you didn't enjoy that movie, it was on you. Or maybe you were just so flustered and heated because you love Sonic the Hedgehog 2 so much. Like, yeah, I was pretty horny when I was it. watching it. <laughs> so, <laughs> <The AC> problem. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah, I was turned on. <laughs> Roxy, what has scared you this week? So if you'll remember, I can't remember if it, remember if it was last week or the week before, my cursed next door neighbor's house uh, mm. sold yet again. And this week when I was parking my car, I had to drive more around the block. And there is like four more houses up for sale just on my small Mm. little block uh Mm. and i'm beginning to think maybe this curse is spreading mikey and i'm right next door to what could be the epicenter or maybe it's one of the ones that was cursed from a more cursed house somewhere else in the neighborhood this is worrisome roxy have you noticed any ghosts creeping into your house I did notice a creepy old woman who was writing down information from people's cars. And when I looked at her and gave her the stink eye as she was standing in front of my car, she just looked back and kept writing. (laughs) Not even looking at what she was writing. (laughs) I don't know how haunted or ghostly that was, but, uh. Well, I mean, it sounds like her hand was being moved by a force from another (sighs) universe, so. Like automatic writing. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Propelled by her sins. (laughs) And speaking of sins, here comes the demon bot. He's full of sin. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 1973 film The Exorcist, directed by William Friedkin and starring Linda Blair, Max von Sydow, and Jason Miller. Did you watch the film, or your soul's forfeit? Roxy, I did in fact watch The Exorcist, did you? As did I, yes, I also watched The Exorcist. Good, then you may keep your souls. For now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) we get to at least the end of this podcast, so. I love that, Roxy. No take backs. Let's talk about The Exorcist, huh? Yes, yeah, yeah, The Exorcist. So for those of you who might be listening at the uh, spooky basement door 
or, you know, just listening to it on iTunes or what have you, uh, how about we do a plot summary for The Exorcist? I would love to, and I'll even start. Okay, let's go. We begin in Iraq, which blew my mind. I was like, what? I did (laughs) not remember it. I thought I was in the wrong movie. Me too! (laughs) We begin in Iraq on an archaeological dig, and an old man, Father Marin, finds a medallion of the demon Pazuzu. He then proceeds to wander around for like 12 minutes of screen time. Then we are in Georgetown, USA. Mother and actress Chris and daughter Reagan live there while Chris is filming a movie. We are then introduced to priest Karras. Is that how we say it? Karras? Karras? I honestly don't know. I don't know either. Who we learn is worried about his dying mother and is having a crisis of faith and considering leaving the church. At night, Chris hears spooky scratching noises from the attic, thinking it's rats. And then the next day, Regan tells her mom that she's been using a Ouija board to talk to a spirit she calls Captain Howdy. Chris then holds a party with her industry friends. And during this party, Regan wakes up, comes downstairs, tells everyone they're going to die, and proceeds to pee on the carpet in front of everyone. She's not wrong. On a long enough timeline, yes, those people will all die. True. Father Carass's mother dies, and as the guilt consumes him, he falls into a fitful slumber and has a nightmare about the medallion Father Marin found at the beginning of the movie and a demonic face. Could this be Pazubu himself? Probably. Regan is then taken to the doctor and has tests performed on her, and she becomes violent. The doctors are unable to find anything physically wrong with her. One night, Chris finds Regan alone in the house with Regan's window wide open. However, her director friend was supposed to be there. She was not supposed to be alone. And instead, he is now dead on the staircase directly below Regan's window outside with his head completely twisted around backwards. (laughs) A detective starts investigating the director's death. Regan gets worse, her health beginning to fail. And eventually a doctor suggests an exorcism as a possible treatment as every medical and psychological attempt has been unsuccessful. As Chris decides what to do about Regan, that detective shows up saying that the only logical conclusion for the director's death was him being pushed from Regan's window. Later that night, Regan stabs her genitals with a crucifix and turns her head backwards and speaks with a demonic voice. (laughs) Chris decides, yeah, this is demonic. We got to get a priest. (laughs) And so finally, Father Cross meets the family and the demon residing in Regan who says he will kill Regan. (laughs) That's the only way he's going to be done. (laughs) The father watches as the words, help me, form on Regan's skin, and he is convinced that an exorcism must be performed. The church reluctantly agrees and says that they need an experienced priest to lead it, not Karras. And so Father Marin is brought in. Marin warns Karras that the demon will tell him things that will shake him, but he must not listen. The two of them begin the exorcism, reading from the Bible and suffering mental torture from the demon. Mental torture becomes too much for Karas, who is shown a hallucination of the demon as his mother, begging and pleading for him not to abandon her as she dies. He screams that the demon is not his mother, and Marin has Karas sit the next round of exorcisms out. (laughs) The man is buckling from a loss of faith, guilt, and pressure. He's in no shape to exorcise a demon. This guy needs a back rub. Marin (laughs) continues the exorcism, but his failing health and the demon's powers kill him. Karras tells Chris that he will not let her daughter die and goes into the room himself. Karras screams at the demon to take him instead, willingly let himself be possessed to free Regan. As Pazuzu takes him over, Karras jumps out the window, taking Pazuzu with him as he kills himself to send that demon right back to hell. 
Chris sees the aftermath and that Regan is free. Mother and daughter embrace and cry. The demon is gone. Meanwhile, Karas's priest friend administers last rites outside as Karas finally dies. Sometime later, Chris and Regan are leaving Georgetown, and Karas's priest friend sees them off. Regan thankfully has no memory of the ordeal, and even though she has no memory, she is moved by seeing the priest caller, somehow knowing that she was helped, even if she doesn't remember how. She gives the man a kiss on the cheek as a thanks for her life being saved. The holy medallion that Karas left behind is then given to his priest friend by Chris. However, he says that Chris should keep it. They decide to do so and leave. The detective comes by, just missing the family, but talking to the priest. And the two of them decide to go see a movie together and become friends for some reason, because why not? And the end. <laughs> That's the exorcist. <laughs> That's the exorcist. <laughs> this movie, Roxy, I remember watching as a kid and thinking like, this isn't scary. Fuck this. It was so upsetting this time. I was oh, like, really? This, this movie is too scary for me. I was like, I don't know if I could do this. Oh my gosh, for real? Okay. Yeah. Uh, what changed between then and now for you, do you think? I don't know. Maybe I have uh, empathy. <laughs> Maybe I saw just how <laughs> horrifying it was. I don't know. I felt like there were so many scenes where they were just so close to the possessed girl. And hmm. it just felt like at any moment she could like jump up and oh, physically. bite okay. him. So yeah. there was that aspect of it. And just like, there's no fight against it, right? It just happens. And I think that was, was what was so upsetting to me. Is this idea that like, you know, you got a Jason coming after you, you can run away. There's like you can't run away from a thing that just has decided to be in you. Well, also for Regan herself, yeah, like she can't do anything. But then the people trying to help her, like you don't want to hurt her body, which is housing it. Mm -hmm. You know, like how, so how do you do that? You can't, you can't, you know, shoot it with a gun. That's not gonna <laughs> yeah. kill. It's just gonna kill Regan. <laughs> so it does present this intangible thing you have to somehow fight against. Uh, and how do you do that? Right, you can't. I also feel like maybe seeing this movie when, like, Regan is my peer, you know, when I was mm. about her age watching okay. it, I was just like, okay, this sucks for her, and, you know, we'll see if she gets out. Now watching it and seeing it, it's like, this is a little girl, and she's doing fucked up shit. She's being, like, yeah. really, she's being bad. She's being, she, this is bad news. This is bad behavior. Yeah, I could definitely say how, like, having an adult's perspective now would, like, possibly change that in that way, too. Because, yeah, you look at her more as, like, this is a kid that needs to be protected unless, and mm -hmm. instead of, like, oh, yeah, this is someone like me. Right. Especially because, like, when you see her mother, like, being slowly beat down and deteriorating from the whole experience as well. <laughs> and then I think, like, the more complex issues of, like, the crisis of faith. I, I'm kind of into this idea that the demon bot is, like, learning to cook. <laughs> but you can't even eat it. You're... You're a demon bot. Am I not allowed to have a hobby? I am trying to unlock the mystery of how a baked Alaska is cooked in an oven without melting the ice cream. Please continue the review. One thing that I noticed in this movie, Roxy, uh -huh. there is a piece of graffiti that just says Mikey. <laughs> Very Wait, big. was there? Where was yes. that? I don't remember that. I want to say it's when it's pretty early on. It's just early in my notes. It just says Mikey very big. And it's something I was wondering. Did you maybe see a piece of graffiti that says Roxy? Oh, you know what? I'm not saying that there wasn't one, but I didn't see one, but that doesn't mean there wasn't one. What if everybody just had their own personalized <laughs> experience with The Exorcist? That's very scary. It's speaking directly to you, Mikey. <laughs> and it was spelled like exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah, it was spelled the way I spell it. Uh-oh. What do you very think that scary. means? Mikey, is Pazuzu coming for you next? 
God, I hope not. Do they ever say the name Pazuzu in the movie? Because everything I was reading called him that, and it's the name of a character or a beast or something in Futurama. Oh, well, I mean, it is like one of the, I think it's one of the princes of hell. I think in the beginning, that artifact that the father finds, and he's Mm -hmm. like talking to a local who is also like very learned and has a collection of those things, like artifacts. He talks about how the artifact they found, I think, was Pazuzu. And then the father goes to find a statue of him, and Uh he has like a snake for a dick or something and there's some dogs fighting <laughs> it was very strange the entire first part of the movie i thought i was watching the wrong movie as well like we talked about yeah. it before i was like did i download the wrong thing it's wild it, for this- it feels <laughs> it, it's I, like everything i had in my head about the exorcist that iraq scene is the opposite it's like yeah it just didn't exist sunlight I- <laughs> yeah it goes on for so long just him wandering around being like well <laughs> here's desert vista <laughs> Mm. walk around some more not even talking just kind of squinting at the sun sometimes emoting it totally has this like <laughs> like wally sort of vibe where like it feels like we're just watching somebody go about his day uh-huh <laughs> it's very scary when they say somebody has dug up uh i wrote it down what was it they found something small pieces it's like oh chilling yeah, because we pieces? don't know what they mean. And then there's yeah. like a medallion and some other things that are like maybe from a different time. And they were like, yeah, these aren't from the time of the thing you're looking for, which we don't know what he's even looking for. Is he looking for the <laughs> Temple of Pazuzu? I don't know. <laughs> does feel like he's just like trying to go about his day and these demons keep getting in the way of him. Well, the thing is, too, is that they, they like brought out this careful little like piece of thing that they've found stuff. And then he just takes his pickaxe and like reaches in there to get the thing. <laughs> At first, he starts brushing it off very delicately. Then I'm like, oh, okay. So at least he's, like, taking care of it. But then he just fucking breaks it off. I'm like, the stone is in. I thought he was cracking the artifact in half. I was like, what are you doing? I do like that this movie opens with this priest, like, literally reaching into darkness. Yes. It was, like, a a truly upsetting, like, again, I don't know why I was so worried throughout this movie that somebody was going to get bit or slashed or something, like, it's upsetting. Regan pushed a dude out a window, but we don't see it. It's like implied. Mm-hmm. She like grabbed a dude's nuts very hard. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> those are done for. She barfed on a lot of people. That's pretty gross. That's gross. She, I guess, technically kind of killed Father Marin, mm-hmm. sort of. Just like his. You're right. We also heart. don't see that on screen, do we? No, I think we do see him die. Like he's clutching his heart and like slumps down, or maybe oh, I they guess, do I guess cut it. Yeah. I don't know. They. There is more stuff that they sort of implied without showing, like with the director friend dying. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't see that scene at all, because we're not, we're in the perspective of either one of the fathers or the mother. It's not right. really like Regan on her own. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I can't even remember if they show any scenes with her without her mom at all. Yeah, she's just hanging out. She's doing her, her thing. This maybe gets us into a little bit of a big idea of the movie. I couldn't quite grasp what this movie was saying i think there was like some pretty big like puberty overtones to like possibly first of all i will i will say the beginning of this movie the relationship between regan and her mother is so like nice it's very cute and picturesque in a way false to me i was like i don't believe first of all i don't believe that an actress has that relationship with anybody because actresses notoriously and actors desperate people just sweaty and emotionally unfit 
You don't become. Uh, you you're, don't that's become. A big generalization you're making right now, <laughs> That's why they have to become somebody else. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> but I just, uh, it was like sickly syrupy sweet, like, and I like. I mean, it is what the movie needed. But yeah. I was like, man, what do you guys fight about? Like, what, do you guys ever uh, just get into a normal? Like, I want to go out with my friends and know you're grounded kind of vibe. It feels like their relationship was perfect. Well, I think part of that comes from her being a single parent and knowing that her husband is a deadbeat. So she probably feels like she has to make up for two parents. Because, like, I don't even know if they're technically divorced, but, like, he doesn't live with them. And, like, on Regan's birthday, he literally won't even call. Like, he promised saying, or I don't know if he promised, but he said he was going to be there. And he wasn't. Um, and then he, he didn't even call and you see her talking on the phone and like arguing with him to be like, you said you were going to be here. Like she gets really upset about it. And Regan is like overhearing it. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of after that, she's more vulnerable to the demons attack. I think that's when she starts being more mm-hmm. actually possessed. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. She's more emotionally vulnerable. But like there's a part, maybe it's the exact same scene where she's introduced where she's I was hanging out and uh, got to ride some horses, or I like saw some horses <laughs> and I really liked them. When can we get a horse? So it definitely seems like she is benefiting from the fact that her mother is like a rich actress, so she probably can so get rich. anything she wants. And it seems like the mom is probably up for spoiling her more often mm-hmm. than not, even though she seems to draw the line at a horse because I think they're only living in that town temporarily while she's shooting the movie. Then they're going to leave, so mm-hmm. she probably. If she asked for anything else that could come with them, she'd probably say, like, yes, yes, honey, have this big expensive mm-hmm. thing. But a right. horse Georgetown is, like, is not a horse town. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to live we there. Get back, when we get back to Los Angeles, you can, of course, have a horse. Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I would never dream of denying you your horse. <laughs> That's the sequel. Reagan gets a horse and it becomes a <laughs> completely different genre. It's, between, it's a it horse movie. It has nothing to do with demons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just her bonding with a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I love those stories where like a, a girl gets a horse and it's like she's so special and the horse is like choosing her. Those yeah. Are, those are beautiful books. The bond between man and beast and then they're best friends forever even though they can't talk. It makes me it's cry really every time. <laughs> yeah. There but yeah, I think there's some pretty clear like puberty stuff going on. Like the mother is reacting to the demon in a like I think the hyperbolized real life problem that she is going through is her daughter is changing into really her own person, right? She's becoming an adult as opposed to becoming her child. And there's, I mean, there's, you know, the, the crucifixion stabbing that she does to herself. There's like this self-actualization or a a sexual awakening kind of business happening. And she's terrified of it, right? Like that's something that you hear a lot of parents say. It's like when they become a teenager, it's like they're becoming a whole different person. I could see that. I mean, I guess it is the fact that she appears like she's changing into a different person. But then by the end of it, she's the exact same person she was, I guess. Mm -hmm. And still like an innocent child. So I don't know if I'd say I I could definitely see that being something they're doing. But I guess I didn't really get that from it, I think, because maybe she's just the exact same character afterwards and they don't actually have to confront it, maybe. Well, that's kind of what I mean. Like, I think because we were getting the same vibes. Like, I don't really know what this movie is saying. Yeah. Like, do you think this movie is pro religion? There's so many viewpoint characters, is the thing, too. I think it might be also about, like, the concept of faith. faith, Because, like, you see Father Cross's story. You know, he used to be a boxer. 
I don't know at what point after that uh-huh. he like became, I'm sure it's probably more detailed in the book uh, that this is initially based off of, but you see pictures. And I, I will say that uh, he is essentially like still a fighter. I feel like the way they kind yes. of frame him up throughout this movie. He's training he's- frequently. He's still like running, like doing his boxing training that he probably would be doing. Mm-hmm. He's, he's still going to the gym boxing. The detective, when he first meets him, he's like, oh man, they said you were like a boxer. You're like, I can't remember which one he liked in some two. Maybe Famous Rocky. movie boxer. Yeah. some it, it was his way of like trying to ingratiate himself to talk to mm-hmm. him because at the beginning of that scene, he's like, saying you look like some cool hotshot boxer then at the end of it when he's like i'm not gonna talk to you he's like you know what you actually look like a lame boxer this thing <laughs> can't even the remember the worst this looking series. boxer i've ever seen yeah it was very funny but yeah i feel like throughout the movie uh i, I got so many vibes or throughout the exorcism that is really the back half of this movie he is portrayed like a fighter like he's going round for round with the yeah devil. actually and I think, like yeah. there's a lot of um moments where he's like specifically when he's talking to father Marin and like gets up it it reminded me of like a fighter getting knocked down and getting back up off the mat yeah so in that way too i could see like he he's lost his sense of purpose like whatever reason drove him to become a priest and to like join the church he feels like it's the wrong move and like he can't handle this thing that he chose with his mm-hmm. life and then like he's leaving his mother behind cuz she's in She's in New York, I think, and he's in Georgetown, so he can't, like, visit her every day. She doesn't live with him anymore. Um, so when something bad happens to her, I think there's, like, a different relative, like, a more distant cousin or uncle or something who just, like, puts her in any old hospital when she gets mm-hmm. sick. And he, when he finally finds her, he's like, how could you have brought her here and let her go here? And he's like, well, yeah. you weren't here. You know, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> his relationship with his mother sits with me kind of the same way Regan's relationship does with her mother. Like it's hmm. it's so sweet Feels- and oh, okay. I love it so much. But this one because it had that that dash of pathos. Yeah. Especially because like, he he's like trying to tell her like, you know, if you were in a facility, like there would be people around you wouldn't be by yourself just sitting in this room listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh so it's more you can tell the way he cares about her. It's not like he's trying to shove her off to like an old folks home so he doesn't have to deal with her. It's more like he just literally can't be there all the time mm-hmm. and he needs somebody else to be able to care for her too. So she's looked after. Yeah. That relationship felt so strong to me because it was like, okay, I get a sense of their dynamic. You know, yeah. I kind of know like this is how they problem solve together. Right. He's like, mom, you should do this. And she's like, no, no, I wouldn't want to do that. Like I kind of understand how they function. Whereas <laughs> Reagan and her mother, it's just like, uh, do you love being alive? Me too. And then they both smile and then they <laughs> do jump rope and uh, eat 10 lollipops for dinner and yeah. move on with their day. Yeah. Which is fine. I, it's you know, she's also- like, Regan's going to go through some shit. I get yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just to show the dichotomy of like, she was this pure innocent, mm-hmm. like literally the symbol of innocence. And then she becomes this demonic creature who wants to kill her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, I like I'm trying to grasp. I can't I, I mean maybe the movie's not saying anything, but it doesn't seem like that. It feels yeah, like there's more think, going on. So, I guess Father Karras is probably the character you can look to the most who made like a character change. So, maybe through him it's easier to f- kind of nail down what this mm-hmm. is because it's like he's lost belief in not only his profession but himself and then like his profession involves God, so he's also like lost his faith. It feels mm-hmm. like so 
he kind of doesn't know who he is anymore on like almost every level is how it kind of feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by the end of it, he's like, no, I'm committed to this cause. I want, I chose to do this thing. I, I chose to do a profession that's supposed to help people. I will help this girl at the cost of my life, even at mm-hmm. this point. And so he commits to that, takes the demon into himself and then kills himself so it can't hurt anybody else. So I'd like to think that in that moment and in through that action, he has like self-actualized more and like come to terms with himself and kind of embraced, I guess, who or what he is by that point. Mm-hmm. So then when he dies, he dies fulfilled. So it's kind of like sad that he dies, but he like accomplished his mission that he set out to do, especially because like he couldn't help his mother. And so he feels mm-hmm. guilt from that. So he also mm-hmm. gets to save this child. Uh, even though he couldn't save his mother, he gets to save someone, I suppose. That is nice. Which, like, may- maybe that's, th- may- maybe that is, maybe I'm reaching, I don't know, like, a self-actualization or self-acceptance, maybe, mm-hmm. could be part of it. I don't know, what do you think? That sounds yeah, like I'm talking I- out of my ass, or? <laughs> no, 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 I think there's definitely a lot of that going on. I think that is kind of his, maybe not so much character growth, but, like, that's what he does. His he is arc. about, he is about trying to rid himself of this guilt that he feels, yeah. I would imagine. He's, like, so despondent over these horrible things. Okay, I'm getting it now. I'm getting it now. Because the scene that we haven't really talked about yet, but apparently is only in the director's cut, is not in the original cut of this scene. Oh, okay, yeah. So, like, the ending. I think it's just, like, the last two minutes, maybe? Like, Mm -hmm. after they drive off in their car. And then there's, like, the exchanging of the medallion, and then the detective comes up. Oh, I think those are the bits, right? I'm talking about a scene... A little earlier, like midway through the exorcism, when Father Karras and Father Marin go out in the hall. Oh, that was cut? Yeah. That's my oh. understanding. I could be I could okay. be. But they're sitting down and they're having this conversation, and Father Karras is just like, Why is it a 12-year-old girl? Why is it her? Why did it have to be her? And Father Marin's like, This demon chose that girl because it was about making mankind think that he is ugly and undeserving of God's love. It's like, okay. it's such a horrifying thing <laughs> that we could do this to it, that this thing is happening to a child. Yeah, and so randomly, like, without prompting or deserving of something right. happening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like your innocence being corrupted. It is the yeah. nicest little girl who just wants to ride horses. She has uh-huh. to become a demon now. <laughs> uh, but this idea of mankind being ugly and undeserving of God's love, like, that's how Karis feels throughout. And that's what yeah, the weapon no, that point. Regan is wielding against him. Like, we we talked about this famous, your mother sucks cocks in hell line. I forgot <laughs> that we had met this mother. In my head, that was just like a, a random flippant taunt. Yeah, I didn't but, remember meeting the mother either. Yeah. It's upsetting. That's like a horrible thing. That's like a mean thing to say. <laughs> I didn't like that the demon said that to him. Because he believes that. He believes he, like, let her down so much that, like... Anything that is happening to her horribly in the afternight, he takes as his fault. Yeah. He, belie- he believes he's ugly and undeserving of God's love, and the way he ends up defeating her is by just getting back up, by continuing to go in there to confront his shame, and eventually he is able to win. It's yeah. a triumph. All right, I got it. I got there. <laughs> just, just had to talk around it. Yeah, this I because there's a lot of, like, big picture good versus evil kind of shit going on especially in the beginning of this movie yeah and 
it was, it was making me a little nervous that I was like, mm, in what it, way? it made me think that it was going to be this like dispassionate, disconnected, like we have to fight pure evil. And there's a little bit of that. Demon bots making tea in the background. It's smashing everything around. The mortals eat the desserts without tea. How uncouth. There's a little bit of it throughout the movie, right? This it would be really uninteresting to me if it was just like a demon has possessed a girl and we have to save her. I think this movie gets more personal as it goes. Like the way that we start to see Chris, the mother fall apart and the way that we see yeah. it becoming more about father Karis, like getting over his trauma of losing his mother, right? Every horror yeah. movie is trauma. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Also, it's interesting that they don't meet for a really long time. Like yeah. I didn't remember these characters being so separate for so long, mm-hmm. you know, our three viewpoint characters, essentially it was like the priest at the beginning. Then we got Karis and then we got Chris, the mom, like all mm-hmm. three of them meet, like maybe in the last 15 minutes of the movie or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's got a real Avengers Assemble vibe at the end with like all yeah. three of them together. <laughs> Finally. It's it's not surprising now that I'm thinking about it, but like we basically haven't talked about the mother at all. Cause I not don't think ton, her story is that interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, she's she kind of just reacting the way you would expect somebody to react. Like, like there's nothing super specific about her. Yeah, I think aside from the fact that, like I mentioned sort of earlier, where you get the sense that she has to step up for the missing father. And so she's kind of like all Regan has. We see that. We see her like at her job, which also, okay, this was a really weird shot when she's at her movie filming. (laughs) You see Father Cross in the crowd just sitting there like smiling at her for some reason, which he's not a very smiley guy at all. He's like smiling, looking at her in the crowd and then walks away. And she like (laughs) notices it. I was like, what the fuck? And then he just walks away. It's very strange. I don't know why. That's how they kind of introduced him, essentially. (laughs) Especially because she passes by his churchyard and he's like talking to a parishioner or something. And she's like, wait, I've seen that guy. And like even asks at one point later, like, what about that guy at that church? Like, I've seen him around kind of. Deal with that smiley guy who keeps coming (laughs) to my movie. It's so weird because, like, he doesn't smile at all, really. He doesn't. So, no. He's so very, strange. like, Bruce Wayne like, throughout this movie. He's, he's just, brooding. Like, and, like, he has dark. reason to brood. It makes sense why he's like that, you know? <laughs> uh, we didn't even talk about, like, the production of this either. A lot of, like, the way that they just made this movie was, like, absolute hell to go through. Oh, yeah? Apparently. Yeah, like, they had a set. Like, every time you see the characters breathing, like, cold air because the demon, they literally had, like, I don't know, seven air conditioners in that room. People were, the actors were so cold. It was, like, borderline (laughs) abuse. Oh, no. There's a scene where the mother comes into the room and, like, Regan slaps her. And then Mm. she goes flying and then the, the chest of drawers, like, scoots at her. But, like, when she is slapped, somebody actually slapped her. It wasn't Regan, but somebody slapped her from the crew. So, like, when she screams... She was not expecting to get slapped. Uh, and the director was like, yeah, I want to get her genuine reaction when she gets fucking slapped. It's like, so what? fucked up that they used what to do that. What the fuck? And then, like, uh, they know herself. She's literally an actor. Like, yes. she can act like she was surprised that she yeah. was just slapped. It's it's bullshit and uh, not okay. And then Regan <laughs> herself, like, cracked her spine or something. Like, there's so many scenes where she's, like, flipping back and forth on the bed. Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, like the bed moving and everything like they had hydraulics and things to make that work but like she was literally injured from those scenes like literally broke her back 
Good God. <laughs> sort of stuff like that, which is not great. Would you say it was worth it, though? It's a good movie. There's a lot of flopping around on a bed that I think it's hard to get that kind of realistic flopping around on a bed sort of action. Unless- oh, yeah. It's very important to the plot. You know, there's so <laughs> many other ways we could show demons, but now we got to show her flopping back and forth on the bed. Yeah. Back literally <laughs> very important to the plot. It's it's very funny to be like, it would be like, okay, she had like an allergic reaction to the makeup and be like, okay, I get it because the makeup is very scary and you have to like the makeup rules in this movie. She looks so scary throughout. The flipping on the bed shit is the dumbest part. Yeah, <laughs> it looks scary. Looney Tunes goofy. <laughs> of course. Probably the most goofy. Of course that would be what shatters a young child's back. <laughs> um, there's another thing, too, that I did not remember at all until this rewatch, is that there's, like, secret Pazuzu and, like, demon images. Yeah. And I noticed it the first time when the mother is walking through the kitchen by herself, and we get a flash mm-hmm. of Pazuzu, like, looking at her. Yeah. It's very scary. It's, like, truly upsetting. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, at least two instances of that that I can remember right now. I'm sure there's more of that, but there's, like, that. Mm-hmm. And then there's a shadow of the uh, statue we saw at the beginning that is, like, on the wall of Regan's room mm-hmm. uh, at one point. Um, so they, there, like, it- added funny, weird little things there that was like, oh, I don't I didn't remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, just, like, these subliminal little cuts of, like, a monster face. Yeah. And another thing, too, when so many of, like, the the freaky demon things are happening aside from that dream sequence and those two shadowy scenes i just talked about everything Mm. is very well lit so like when she crawls down Mm. the stairs backwards Uh it's extremely well lit and also the cut of that is really weird because like you just see her scuttling down the mom looks over and is like huh and then she like barfs the blood upside down then then they just hard cut yeah. So we don't really like see the mother reacting to that or what they do about that. It's, a, it's just like almost it's feels a like bizarre a moment. It's so strange. And I think that uh that might be something that was cut from the the theatrical version also. Because it's too scary, maybe. Because That's another thing too, like <laughs> too scary. The, the phenomenon around this movie when it first came out, like people were walking out of the movie theater because they were too scared. Mm. It it set the stage much like when we talked about Rosemary's baby. This is like a landmark movie that set so much for what came after it that like Mm -hmm. by the time I had watched it, I'd seen like a million movies before it that had taken inspiration from it. So by the time I watched this, I was like, I've already seen that before. This is kind (laughs) of boring and it goes on for a really long time. Yeah, I think that might be part of what made me feel that way as a kid, too. I always refer to it as the Simpsons problem. Like Mm. I've seen the Simpsons parody The Exorcist. A thousand times more than I've seen The Exorcist. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And so a lot of the like. Even now, watching it back, like, the power of Christ compels you scene where they just, like, shout it at Reagan. Mm-hmm. It's, like, kind of doesn't hit anymore because I've yeah. seen so many, like, it's such a lame hack joke that, like, your coworker will do in the office. Like, oh, are you coming to, are you coming to give me some more uh, TPS reports to fill out? Get out of here, you jerk. Uh, the power of Christ compels you. <laughs> Ugh, get, ooh, demon. Ugh. And then he fucking <laughs> goes and sexually harasses his secretary and gets fucking <laughs> thrown overboard because they're on a boat. <laughs> the fictional office Mikey has created is on a boat. <laughs> you know, that boat job that Mikey used to have. Yeah, you didn't even realize he was on a boat summer. when he was making those little, little jokes. <laughs> this is That is a very big dad joke to like make the sign of the cross with your two fingers when it's just like your wife is, is coming to tell joke? you to... To, like, mow the lawn. <laughs> You're like, oh, get out of here, demon, is the kind of joke that a dad would make. Oh, is it? <laughs> I feel like it is. I don't know. 
Maybe not. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it's just the dads I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the specific dads you have encountered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my dad did treat all of his adversaries as <laughs> as demons. And he had a lot of them. possessed. Not a popular man. Oh, that's why I was carrying around that holy water and throwing it at everybody all the time. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I wish it was holy water. It was uh <laughs> Oh, that's Scotch. what he told people. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy, I got a question for you. Okay, what's the question? Okay. Regan throughout this movie, she's a bad kid. All right. She's uh, uh not for any fault of her own, but yes. <laughs> Technically, she is. She seems like she is possessed. Just a little. Just a little possessed. Did you have a kid, like, growing up who, like, it was in your class who just, like, oh, yeah, that kid's probably possessed. Like a problem kid? A problem child. We definitely had some that were, like, little rascals looking back. (laughs) But I'd say, like, maybe the worst example was, like, a transfer student kid who... One day just disappeared from class. He didn't really get along with anybody else, but he wasn't particularly ostracized either, at least from, like, you know, my kid perspective. I didn't know everyone in the class the same, like, what they were about. Maybe kids Mm -hmm. were treating him bad, and I didn't know. I don't know. They told us why he disappeared from class and never came back was because he brought a knife to school. (laughs) They found it in his bag. You can't do that. Can't do that. So, uh... I don't know what happened if he got suspended and then just never came back or if uh, his parents decided to transfer him because maybe this is something he does all the time and that's why he got transferred to our school. He's going to go to another school. He just keeps bringing knives. <laughs> maybe. Roxy, I'm sure you don't know this. What kind of knife? What kind of knife is this kid? Like, are we talking like a butter knife or are we talking like a full on like katana? Definitely not a butter knife because I don't think they would suspend a kid for that. But like, I mean, maybe they would because that shows intent possibly. But mm-hmm. I, they I can think, escalate to steak knives. I guess. I mean, I've talked about this before. I grew up in Alaska, so people there are more likely to maybe have some weaponry right. <laughs> to uh, do to anything. Carve the skin off any elks they find. Yeah, or just literally cut down brush or something, or <laughs> who knows? Okay, literal bushwhacking when you go hiking. Some for some people. So, I don't know. It could have been a little tiny pocket knife. Could have been a giant machete, like Jason style. I honestly don't know. I'm surprised the teachers even told us that he was carrying a knife, and that's why he got sent home. You'd think they would... That's probably why they didn't expand more on it other than that, and that's all I can remember anyway. Mm -hmm. I doubt any of my elementary school teachers are listening to this podcast right now, but if they are, please hit me up. I'd love to know the story (laughs) behind that now that I'm an adult, if you remember it at all. And hey, Roxy's (laughs) elementary school teachers... Like and subscribe. Yeah, come on, man. Smash that bell. <laughs> <laughs> I actually genuinely wonder what some of them are up to. There, I did have some cool ones and some nightmare ones. Mm. So who knows? What about you, Mikey? Did you have any troublemaker, possibly possessed children in your class growing up? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did. There was a kid. I, I guess I can say, I, maybe I shouldn't say his name. His name was Paul. Uh, we're just going to say his name is Paul, right? Yeah. Okay. Paul. Sure, Good old Paul. Paul. <laughs> Shaved head. That always seemed a little uh, against How type. How old was he? You know, this was, the, the sense memory I have of this is like sixth grade. Okay, so a shaved head in elementary school. Damn. Okay. And I don't remember what he did to earn this, but I was, this is okay. a fucked up thing that happened to me that he also had to go through. Huh. I was really bad about like finishing homework on time. Okay. So they gave me this bright yellow sheet of paper called a homework contract. Oh my god, what? I had to bring okay. it to every single class and they would check yes or no if I got my homework done. 
and initial it. This is a really shameful thing, like at the end of class, you know, that is. But Paul, he was on a behavior contract. Oh. So he had to every single day at the end of class go up and have them judge his behavior. <laughs> yes, the good or bad. Wow. Okay. So I don't I don't care what he was doing. He could have done anything bad, and it would not have been bad enough to justify a behavior contract. That's pretty insulting, honestly. Mm-hmm. I bet he brought a knife to school. Uh, he could have, and you just didn't I bet know. that's it. I bet they see the knife in his backpack, and they're like, you're on a behavior contract, buddy. Yeah, we gotta, <laughs> gotta rein this in. <laughs> such, a, such a- Like, I can't think of what problem that would solve. Yeah, just like- having him be held accountable but at the same time like you said it's just gonna make him feel like shamed into it it's not really gonna elicit better behavior from that i don't think i don't think it's gonna do what they think it does yeah it's it's not coming from like a place of like i love to be bad it's coming from he like not knowing how to express himself especially (laughs) if he's like in sixth grade you know like you're you're gonna be acting out you know was it like your brain isn't fully formed until you're like 22 years old or something? That feels way too late. It it does, but it is something like that. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> At least we pick in that time the careers we want for the rest of our lives and take Very smart. massive loans to <laughs> pay for it. I think yep. that's cool. That's a great cool idea. Thing we do. It's very non-predatory. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy on a scale from one to nine, because of course the number ten does not exist in the scary basement, how likely do you think the events of The Exorcist are to happen in real life? Well, I think compared to a lot of other movies we've done, this one is actually based on a true story vaguely. Like oh. they did, did. Did you know about this? I didn't know that. No. Yeah. So the That's book very that the, scary. Yes. Yeah, so the book that The Exorcist is based off of is based off of a real story, but. The author changed things around. For instance, the actual kid who suffered from the exorcism and demon possession was a boy who is older mm-hmm. than Regan. So they like change things around. So it's not like after he publishes this book, someone can hunt down that kid and be like, hey, you were the exorcist kid. <laughs> hey, look at you, your mother sucks cops in hell, buddy. <sighs> yeah. And of course, he was like, you know, upping the drama for it being a fictional book. But like it is literally mm-hmm. based on a real story that he read about. Wow. Um, so technically that has happened and there has technically been exorcism. So I said five out of nine, mm. whether those were like an actual demon doing things or not, who can say? Yeah. But exorcisms happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> and this movie was specifically based on one that did. So five out of yeah, nine. Yeah, I, I said nine. Okay. I was like, yeah, there's, of course there's stuff we don't understand. You know, okay. Like this, I, I think this is kind of becoming my criteria for this part of the podcast. Like guessing how realistic it is. It's like if one unusual thing happens, does everything else flow naturally from it? And it's like, yeah, if a girl gets possessed by a demon, like these are all the steps. Like they did it beat by beat. She, the mom goes to doctors. The mom goes finally to a priest. The priest mm-hmm. fights in the way that he. It's just like, yeah, I buy all this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seems true. Yeah. Here's something I was going to ask you about, actually, and I don't know why it is, but we've talked a bunch on this podcast how much I hate the beginning of movies when, you know, it's a zombie movie and there's somebody who's like, zombies aren't real. And I'm just yeah, like, shut just up. Don't just know start fighting zombie zombies. Media exists. They're like, are you, this sick person looks like they have rabies. Right. <laughs> troll Hunter is the biggest example of it. It's uh-huh. like, I'm sorry, uh, you're trying to film a troll. And I'm like, yes, this is a troll movie. <laughs> Uh, the Exorcist has a ton of that same stuff, and it didn't bother me at all. 
like, what do we think this movie is doing differently? I was just like engaged in this story, even though I knew it was going to be demon possession. I think part of maybe it's pedigree and it being such a landmark film and the fact that it's also from a different era than like we grew up in. So it is kind of like not grounded in like, you know, the America that we know, you know, being like Mm -hmm. 90s and 2000s kids. Uh, This is like what the late 70s? I think it's like 77 Mm -hmm. movie, right? Uh, So I think that might be a factor where maybe it doesn't set off the alarm bells the same way. I don't know. And since like you go into it kind of knowing what it's about, that's that's right. different too because you're like yeah she's gonna be possessed so then when you see little things like she's got the ouija board and talking about mr howdy or whatever <laughs> uh like maybe if you were seeing that movie for the first time and you had no idea it was going to be about a possession you'd be like what does that mean like what's, uh, <laughs> what's sure, that gonna yeah. be uh so then when it pays off like halfway through the movie it seems like it took her a lot longer to be possessed and then them figuring it out took more time than i had remembered the first time i watched oh, yeah? it because, like, the last time when they do the actual exorcism, it feels like it's the last 10 minutes of the movie. And it's, like, right? an almost two-hour movie. Yeah, there's so just a lot of business. Yeah, like, like so much stuff they that... through a lot of business. Yeah, there's so much things that happen that, like, probably would have been cut in mm-hmm. other instances of it. And I don't know if that's because it's based on book or because of the time period it was made in. Which, by the way, the guy who wrote the book also wrote the screenplay. Uh, So he got to actually adapt his own work, which doesn't happen often, but is a cool thing that he got to do. I'm glad Um, that that guy got to do that. Yeah, you should. Stuff like that should happen more often. Proud of him. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. What what do you think? Does any of that sound like maybe it could be it or? No, that's that's definitely it. There's I'm wondering how much of it is just that like the beginning moments where they're like trying to figure stuff out are like really good. I feel like they're really actorly actors in this movie. There's a lot of old men who are just like gravely <laughs> talking about the situation that uh-huh. I'm just like this rules. <laughs> like I love <laughs> I love the gravitas that all of these cuz they go to like multiple doctors and the doctors yeah. recommend new doctors. It's like my instinct as a writer would be to just like combine all these characters into one. Yeah. And they don't. They just keep introducing new old men <laughs> to tell this woman <laughs> what to do about her daughter. Yeah. It's very funny. There's so many scenes where they're like, well, it could be this. We we don't we can put her on some Adderall or something. <laughs> I can't remember. And then we'll come back and then you can talk to the shrink. Yeah, maybe. the detective. I think the detective is, like, the best example he's, of it. He's just oh like- Oh my god, this- we haven't talked about him yet. He wants to just make friends so bad, it's so weird. <laughs> he, like, wants to be friends with priests. He wants a priest friend so bad that, like, he gets pissy when Father Karras is like, I'm not gonna tell you about, like, a murder I don't know about. Get away from me. <laughs> then he gets all pissy about it. Then at the end, he gets to become friends with, like, Father Karras's other priest friend his weird his weird priest buddy where he's like let's go see a movie and then he's like what movie and then he's like this movie that has these actors in it and then he's the priest is like i've already seen it and he's like oh man that's the exact same thing kara said to me and then he was like but what about another movie then he was like oh he's gonna be my friend this (laughs) whole movie is a (laughs) it is nothing to do with the devil it is all about this one man's quest (laughs) to see a movie with another man (laughs) specifically a priest no other man will do he needs to see this movie with a priest yeah this movie actually is really heartwarming by the end of it apparently it's a really weird way they end off on it at least in the director's cut has that scene where the the detective comes back and they have that conversation i was just like what is going on here i feel like they need to turn to the camera and like freeze frame jump in the air holding hands <laughs> Don't that's the you. end card yeah exactly <laughs> 
Uh, Roxy, last week we made a bet. We sure did. Yeah, so our bet for last week was when does the timestamp for the infamous line, your mother sucks, cocks in hell, happen? (laughs) I said an hour 25. And I said an an hour 20. Yes. It was so much later than that. Okay. What was it? It happens way at the end. I got an hour 46. Damn. Okay. So you you win Mikey by default. It's so far into the movie. You ready for this? For the total score? It is right now. Roxy 17. Mikey 18. You're actually beating me. (laughs) Ty won. Oh, okay. I'm in the lead. I got to step it up. I got to win next week so we can get back to that tie, I guess, because maybe that's what we're (laughs) doing. I don't know. (laughs) And remember, according to the before people who were in the scary basement long before Roxy and I, something will happen at 30. 30 total? We've already gone past that, so it can't be that. Yeah. 30 individually? I don't know. 30 ties? Nobody knows. Here's a great question. Did anything happen? I don't know. The before people are not here, or if they are, we haven't seen them, and we're here. So, I don't know. I'd like to think maybe they get out alive with their souls and bodies intact. That's my hope. I bet Demon Bot's not going to tell us. Oh, actually, he's stomping right over here. There he is. Congratulations. You have successfully reviewed The Exorcist. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week, you must review the 2014 film The Babadook, directed by Jennifer Kent and starring Essie Davis, Noah Wiseman, and Daniel Henschel. If you do not, your souls shall be forfeit and I will claim your bodies as my own. Babadook! (laughs) That's how he says it. (laughs) (laughs) Just a bunch of O's. (laughs) Babadook! (laughs) It's like a a war cry. (laughs) Babadook! Got a horn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roxy. So for next week, we are watching The Baba Duke. Yeah. Okay, The Baba Duke. This is going to be an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, let's make a bet. Let's make a bet for it. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Roxy, how many times do you think the word Baba Duke will be said aloud in The Baba Duke? Okay, uh, I saw this once a million years ago, like when it came out, which it didn't come out a million years ago. It was like, I don't know, 2014 or something. <laughs> I know that there's a book where she probably has to read it out. Uh, so I'm going to guess nine. Mm. Seems okay. Okay. What about you? I had already written down mine, uh, but your logic makes me think I'm going to be wrong. I said four. Okay. I mean, I feel like I it's feel one like- of those things where like they don't say like run, it's the Baba Duke. Like I think it's just like he's around. But yeah. I think you're, I remember there being a book. I I too have seen it, but don't remember it super well. Yeah, I think maybe we could have both even underdone it. Maybe it's like thirty or something. Yeah, <laughs> scream it a lot. I'll bet it's more. <laughs> I guess right. we'll find out next. Four week. to nine. The bet is locked in. The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. The person who is closest to the number of times the word Babadook is stated in the film shall be declared the winner. The loser will have their own childhood monster manifest in reality. All right. Uh, So we've talked about a lot of spooky, scary, demonic things this week. (laughs) Why don't we talk about something that's making us happy? So uh, what what in your life happened this week that made you happy, Mikey? I'd love to. I'd love to talk about a happy thing. Roxy. Yay. This week. Mikey. To timestamp this episode, you can okay. research if you are uh-huh. so inclined. The video game Earthworm Jim 2 was released on the Nintendo Switch 
via their online service. Okay. Roxy, this is not a good video game. This is a very, very bad and stupid video game. I have so much affection for it. I love it so much. And only the first level, I would argue only the first level of this game is playable. And the rest of it is truly obnoxious. Really? The fact that it's there, the fact that it's in my collection, it just makes me so joyful. So where did you say you were playing it again? On the Nintendo Switch. You can subscribe to um, the Nintendo Switch online, and then they give you like a library of Super Nintendo games. And they just randomly tweeted out, they're like, hey, Earthworm Jim 2. Not even Earthworm Jim 1. It just dropped. It just came out. I never would have (laughs) dreamed I would ever play this game again. And I was so overjoyed to see it. Man, I love when they do it. They just need to port every game that's ever existed to, to every right? modern console, please. I will keep paying you for all these games, I promise. Video I game want companies. to give Nintendo so much money, and they refuse to let me. It's so ridiculous because it's literally just like passive income for them once you set up the servers. Just people will download yeah. and play the old games, and then you can keep having access to them. Like it, It's <sighs> just a win-win. I don't understand why companies don't do it Truly for every single game to ever exist ever. Well, I hope they're listening to our horror podcast. They better. (laughs) To Mr. Nintendo, Mr. Sony, (laughs) Mr. Xbox, do it. Roxy, what's making you happy? Uh, What's making me happy this week is actually also a video game thing, where I had a friend who was playing a game that had stealth elements to it. And I was like, well, if you like stealth games, you want me to refer some to you. And she was like, yeah, sure. So I went down the list. I, you know, like recommended Thief. There was uh, Dishonored. There was, was that, Origami. And then, of course, uh, Metal Gear. (laughs) So I started talking about Metal Gear and I was like, no, it's actually ridiculous and fun and the goofiest shit you've ever seen. It is a war, like, soap opera, (laughs) but then there's wild things in it. Like, you know, (laughs) a giant robot. That like mm-hmm. shits oil and makes noises that sound like some sort of dinosaur and also kind of looks like a dinosaur. Um, a monkey in it diapers rules. at one point and Revolver Ocelot is just exists him as a character. <laughs> what more can I say about him? Literally graphs on an arm that has a personality that sometimes takes over his body. It's so cool. Um, uh, I so- just yesterday recorded a two hour podcast about Metal Gear Solid 4. Okay, for four. Okay, yeah. I yeah. started going off on three because I started talking about like the the fight with the end, where it was like oh. literally you can wait three days. I think it's three days of like real world time or set your yeah. clock differently, and he will just die. He's a boss fight with an old man. For those of you who have not played, <laughs> I don't know why I'm assuming they know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like a three um, hour long boss fight in the middle of this game, or you can go set your PlayStation's internal clock to a week later, and when you turn <laughs> your system back on, he will have died of old age. Yep. Of old age. Yep. It's the funniest game. Yeah. Uh, I'll give it a shout out. It's uh, Super NPC Radio. It's a podcast network that I show up on all the time. Uh, they're yeah. doing the Metal Gear Solid Games Club right now. Oh my God. They're doing so, all the. Okay. So you guys already did like Metal Gear 3 mm-hmm. episodes. So you're recording yep. the four. So I did, I did a two hour Metal Gear 3 podcast oh a my couple God. weeks okay. ago. Did that release yet or? Uh, it's on the Patreon, and then at some okay. point it'll come back. It'll just be on the feed. Okay, that's awesome. You know, well, people months, should but subscribe and watch yeah, on the Patreon.com slash SuperNPCRadio. It's a lovely place, and I do so stuff there. Fun. That, that game in particular. Wise. That's also that game, too, where you, like, rage quit it very famously when we were in college. Uh, I, <laughs> at, like, I, 3 a.m. or something. I <laughs> talked about time. it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. 
<laughs> every video game i play now i, I kind of have this with movies too i'm always mm-hmm. like by the end of it i'm just like can we be done <laughs> i wish more movies or games ended earlier instead of too long like i'm just like there are some games that are like that especially if you're trying I've to play s- them one sitting uh right yes like or you're on a deadline to get it done before you have to record it for a podcast <laughs> there you go there's some stuff too where like Alien Isolation, I think, is a very good horror game, but I think it's four hours too long, at least. Like, it mm. it overstays its welcome that by the time you're at the end of it, like, the alien doesn't feel like a problem anymore because you just hit it with a flamethrower and it runs away. Um, <laughs> and also, it's just like, you, you've been doing this for so long. <laughs> it's like, go go turn on the power to this room, and then go to this room, and then get a key. And that's <laughs> if it had been shorter, you wouldn't have really thought about how, like, yeah, every game is structured kind of like that. Go yeah. here, do this, get this thing. <laughs> Normally you don't think about that, but it made you me are. think about it by the end of it, where it's just like, we should be done now, and also the alien doesn't feel scary anymore like it used to. Like, I remember being terrified at the beginning, and now it's just like, maybe that power creep is intentional, which could be good, but it feels like the alien presence is progressing, so it should be scarier by that point. Anyway. <laughs> I hope video games listen to this podcast. I hope <laughs> everybody in charge in of video games, again, disembodied patron saint of video games. Yeah, it's just Mario with a halo. Yeah. Roxy, each week, the demon bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door to keep us from escaping. And yet each week, we still escape. This we're week- We're good at our job. Let's see what we're up against. I'm just going to open the trap okay. door here. Oh, no. Roxy. Mikey? We're up against a corrupt mayor. Corrupt mayor? Oh, shit. Okay. Um. Our only chance to beat him- is to run against him and win. Okay. Uh, which one of us is more stately material? You, for sure. Uh, maybe. With my background, I can't win any elections. <laughs> I've committed too many <laughs> terrible crimes. <laughs> which we will not speak of. Okay, yeah. That no, makes it's sense. Just, I can't it's be... robbery. It's just robbery. Just robbery, he says. I went through a robbery phase. <laughs> Who among us didn't? Okay, I mean, who amongst no. us didn't? Everybody so I guess has to go I'll to that. I'll start making like a list of campaign slogans, and maybe you just start on the posters. Okay, yeah, sure, I can do that. Right. Demon bot, what are you going to do? Of course, as I am part demon, I feel I am perfectly qualified to handle the political action committee fundraising. Okay, Ooh, hey, ominous, <laughs> ominous. <laughs> wait, actually, at first I was like, "Yay, someone else will take care of that," but then I was like, "Wait a minute, how is he going to raise funds?" He, he's literally going to levitate them. His, there you go, levitate them powers. out of people's po- pockets <laughs> into our coffers. Okay, well, it sounds like we got a whole crew going here. Campaign campaign speech? Somebody will write Easy. it. We got this. Loch Ness Monster can probably help out somewhere. I mean, there's a wolf man running around who I'm sure can help us with something. What do you think, Loch Ness Monster? Do you want to help us out? I'm apolitical! Well, okay, maybe Nessie's out, <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Like I said, Wolfman over there could probably help. We'll figure it out. Uh, Stay tuned for next week, which I'm sure this will pay off and there will be a conclusion (laughs) to, as there always is. 